just, I mean, they were just blowing the test. You know, I'm sweating bullets and boy, they just, you know, I, you know, you know, I, I joke and say, Dale, there's, you can graduate summa cum laude, magna cum laude, cum laude, or thank you laude. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a proud thank you laude graduate of Morehouse School of Medicine. Um, but no, it was, it, but the thing about Morehouse is, and this is what, you know, regrettably, some of you who go to non-black schools, you know, you don't realize it's normal for us to see black physicians all day <laughs> at Morehouse School of Medicine at Mahari Howard or Drew. But when you get into residency, it's a culture shock. You never see a black physician <laughs> generally uh, as a resident. Uh, and that is, that did take me for a loop when I got to Baylor. When What is up family? I'm Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, the author of the Dr. Doc Children series, the author of Pre-Med Mondays, the author of Black Men and White Coats, and a new book that's coming up very soon, so stay tuned, keep your eye out for it. And you listen to the Black Men and White Coats podcast, a place where clinicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you. My, oh my, oh my, am I excited about today's guest. You all have no idea how excited I am. We were just joking before we started recording. He was like, you haven't invited me on. I said, I haven't invited you on because I had to build my credibility to be able to approach you. So um, uh, I'm not going to do too big of an introduction, but all I will say, so I've known this gentleman, and I'll tell you, it's Dr. Wayne J. Riley. He's the 17th president of SUNY Downstate's Health Science University. And I've known him for 16 years. He probably hasn't known me for 16 years, but I've known him for 16 years when my wife started attending um, Harry University, which he was president, uh, I believe. The best doctor, the best doctor in your household. Exactly. <laughs> Hands down. Hands down. She is. She is the best doctor in the household. Um, but I've looked up to this gentleman for quite some time now, 16 years. So I'm super excited to have him on the show and pick his brains for you all, but maybe more importantly for me so I can know and I can gain some some wisdom from him. Dr. Wayne J. Riley, welcome to Black Men in White Coats. Thank you. What an honor, Dale. Uh, and I was teasing him off camera about, man, uh, Dr. O's killing it. Every time I pick up something, he's you know, win the NIST award, doing this documentary, you know, uh, uh, just doing wonderful work as uh, as a physician. So, uh, so proud of Dale, of you and your wife, who's a distinguished Maharian. She was one of my students. Matter of fact, I met you when you were uh, doing some rotations uh, uh, before you guys got married. You spent some time in Nashville. That's how we first met. And uh, we've been we've been connected ever since. I'm curious, do you really remember that? Or is that one of those things where it's like, you got to act like you remember it, because I remember it, of course. No, no, I remember it. No, I remember it very, because I was impressed. You were at Duke. Um, and look, Duke is one of the, the you know, major places for medical education and clinical care. And, uh, you know, I just think about all the, the great doctors that have come out of, of Duke and Legends of Medicine. Uh, so, no, Duke is is an institution I was very, very aware of. Matter of fact, I had done um, one of my rogue rotations while I was at Morehouse School of Medicine at Duke. Uh, and uh, no, it's a great place. So I was very, very impressed with uh, a Duke medical student uh, uh, that you that visited and was uh, in my community at Mahara. Yeah, so I, so I went to do for residency. I was at University of Missouri then. Oh, that's, that's right. Fair. It goes back even further, right? Because your chair is a good friend of mine, Dave Fleming, exactly. who succeeded me as I succeeded David, Dr. Fleming. I forgot it, but UM, uh, University of Missouri, Dr. Dave Fleming was the uh, was the president of the ACP before me. So, uh, and he and I used to talk about you then. You're right. He was very proud of you. So, gosh, you're right. It did go way back, Dale. Yeah, way <laughs> back. And, and, yeah. And I, I appreciated it because, um, so, I, and honestly, I wasn't even doing rotations at Mary, right? So I would just go there and visit. 
mm-hmm. but because you know fourth year med school and the way the way my med school worked was you you would do you would do like clinicals for like seven or eight weeks and you got a week off so i was mm-hmm. always in my Harry for that week off and i would actually go to class and i would go to lecture and i would do everything i know, you know? nobody <laughs> I know. nobody ever i think i met out. you in the library or something in in, in the crestie building where our library was at Meharry. so right so you were you were omnipresent at Meharry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, you're right so i studied for step two Mm-hmm. in the library mary you know i did i did so many things and um it, it's to the point where my um it's not my classmates janae's classmates who graduated from mary when they have like reunions they'll they'll like call me or text me <laughs> say hey dale you going to the reunion and I'm like i didn't graduate that's my that's my wife but right. I, mean, I really appreciate it um you know one of the things i remember the most is at the end of towards the end of fourth year i remember you had, there was this like some sort of um series capstone course or something mm-hmm. and you, you would come to talk to the people who are going into internal medicine. And I went yes. into internal medicine. So I would go there and I, I still remember a lot of the stuff you said in um, those sessions, which, which meant a lot to me and actually impacted you know, me to this day, the way I, I go about my business and, and execute myself. Um, but not about me. I'm super excited to pick your brain and hear your story because you've accomplished so much. I mean, presidency after presidency and not just of institutions, but of you know, various societies. And I want to build our way up to that. But let's take it all the way back to childhood. Mm-hmm. And um, even before I hear about your childhood, I'm curious to know about, because I, I really believe in this idea of families of origin and you're influenced by your parents. I'm curious to know mm-hmm. what kind of people were your parents? Um, you know, what things did they go through? What were they like that influenced who you've become today? Yeah, well, thank you for asking. I'm very proud of my, uh, my humble beginnings. Uh, I come from New Orleans, Louisiana, and... Uh, uh, both my parents were born in, in New Orleans. Uh, my paternal grandparents were a good salted earth, uh, what we call now working class people. My grandfather uh, drove a truck, uh, uh, was a truck driver uh, delivering uh, uh, supplies to businesses in New Orleans and then a part-time jazz musician. Um, he probably only had a third grade education. Uh, my maternal grandmother was a domestic in New Orleans. Uh, I don't think she had uh, but a third grade education, um, uh, but just wonderful salter of people. Um, and they had one child, my father. On my maternal side, my parents, my maternal grandparents, so my grandfather was a barber. And my grandmother, again, was a, uh, a domestic. Uh, she became, uh, was a housekeeper at one of the quarter, uh, French Quarter hotels. Uh, good, hardworking, um, uh, you know, salter of people who, who, uh, who had uh, kids and uh, made sure their kids had better opportunities than they had with uh, none of them went to college. Only two of them went to high school, uh, my four grandparents. And so, uh, you know, my, my, my late father, you know, was, was a good student in, in, in segregated schools in New Orleans. And he got the best advice that probably made my life possible in the, the life of my, my mother and my four siblings is he was told to get the hell out of New Orleans. Uh, in 1950s, New Orleans was not a great place to be for a, a smart African-American kid. Um, and he, uh, you know, he, he had uh, an advisor. He said, Riley, you're too smart. You need to go to University of Michigan. So my dad went to University of Michigan. That was a defining educational experience of his life. And when he finished University of Michigan, he secretly married my mother. Secretly. <laughs> his, his, his childhood uh, sweetheart and then went off to marry medical college. Oh. Uh, uh, so uh, my dad was a Baharian and then later became a surgeon. Um, and then I'm, I'm the oldest of five uh, out of my mom and dad's five children, four of us involved in healthcare, uh, one physician, two uh, administrators and one nurse. Um, 
So I think obviously in the household with a physician and seeing it growing up around physicians and nurses and, and understanding the importance of, of healthcare and all, uh, it, it must have set in. Um, but as I tell students all the time, Dale, I had a very circuitous route towards medicine. Um, you know, and I, I'm very transparent with medical students today. I didn't get in medical school to my third try. Um, I had terrible MCAT scores my first two oh. times. Um, you know, and I, I had some blemishes on my record uh, at Yale in the sciences that I had to repair. Um, and I was on a fence between law and medicine uh, my whole time at Yale. Um, you know, I, I struggled a little bit in, in the sciences at Yale. And let's let, uh, let, let's rewind to even before you got into Yale, because just even <laughs> getting into Yale is huge. <laughs> so what was it? What was the childhood like that developed you to the point where you could even be accepted into Yale? Obviously, you have parents who have yeah. done well and put that in your mind. But what kind of kid were you that you developed yourself to the point where you could actually get accepted into Yale? Well, you know, it's a even running joke with my, all my siblings now, even on our advanced age, you know, my mother never had to do, tell me to do my homework. I had it done before everybody else. <laughs> oh, okay. So you were that kid. Yeah, yeah, I was that kid and my brother, not so much, you know, <laughs> uh, and my sisters. Uh, but no, I guess I, I, I you know, I, I joke with people all the time. If I can go to school all my life, I, I'd be just fine and, and make six figures. I love school. I love school when I, I think my earliest memories, I love going to school. Um, um, you know, and we moved around a lot because my dad, uh, was, was, uh, I was born his sophomore year at Meharry. Um, and then, you know, we moved to Rochester, New York for his, res uh, in his internship back then they used to do one year internships. Then we went to San Francisco for first year of his surgery residency. Then we went to Germany cause he went in the army. He was an army doctor three years. And then we came back to Buffalo, New York, where he finished his surgery training. And then we went back to New Orleans. Uh, I think I got back to New Orleans at the age of, uh, of nine, uh, where then I went to elementary school, but we moved around a lot those two years. Um, so I remember going to school in Germany. I remember going to school in, 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 Cal in San Francisco, um, you know, and, and so, and then of course in Buffalo and then back in New Orleans. So I always loved school. And then I went to, you know, my dad was big on education. He, he used to always said, look, I can't leave you guys a whole bunch of money, but I'm going to leave you guys well-educated uh, because he believed in education. That's what made the difference between his life and the life of my grandparents is that they, they made it possible for him to be a good student and to, you know, uh, see him go off to University of Michigan and on to Yale and, I mean, to Meharry and then their grandson, his son go on to, to Yale and to Tulane and, all, and then Morehouse School of Medicine and my siblings go to Tulane and Howard um, and Wash U and all the great schools that all of us have benefited by. But, um, you know, I love school. Uh, in high school, I was an honors graduate of a predominantly white Catholic all-boys high school. Um, I, was, I was Mr. Everything in high school. Um, I, I was a copy editor of the, of the yearbook, uh, copy editor of the newspaper on the student council, member of the National Honors Society started the first Black History Week in a predominantly white <laughs> school, uh, you know, back in, in, in the 70s. And, you know, I it's somewhere along the way, it, I, I had this seed planted. I wanted to go to an Ivy League school and I applied to, uh, you know, a number of Ivy League schools. And I had the choice, Dale. I had the choice between Yale, Brown, Princeton and Penn. Did and you, I chose to go to Yale. Did you know you were going to be a doctor at that point when you were choosing schools? Yeah. Well, I, I knew that, you know, you know, when you grow up with a doctor, uh, you know, I love my late father, one of my first heroes. My dad was never pushy about medicine, but he, he used to expose me to it. So, you know, Saturday morning, you know, I remember in high school, he'd wake me up. Hey, come make rounds with me. 
And I'd get in the car and we go make rounds at the hospital and go to the patient's rooms. And he'd say, here, here's my son. You know, he's the next Dr. Riley. And, you know, he, you know, little planting seeds like yeah. that. Right. So and, and I tell this story all the time to students. So I got to Yale and I struggled a little bit in sciences. I remember going home. That's that's that uh, first uh, Christmas. And I said, Dad, I'm, I'm you know, gosh, the Yale's kicking my butt. He said, look, just major in something you like. And then if medicine is for you, you know, it'll happen. So he was very supportive. Um, and like I said, I, I was struggled with the fact that I struggled with the sciences uh, a little bit at Yale. And I graduated. I got my degree in anthropology, my bachelor's degree in anthropology. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do, Dale. And so I then worked for the mayor of New Orleans for five years. And, and so I, I, I saw this in, in studying up on you. It was anthropology, but did you have a concentration in medical Yeah, it was medical anthropology. anthropology. It was health and disease, uh, focusing on how different cultures understand, or the, the anthropological word they we used was how do different cultures cognize disease, uh, you know, whether it's the Mayans or, or the Yorubas or in, in the southern United States, southern whites, uh, black southerners, how they look at health and disease differently from an anthropological point of view. So I, I immersed myself in medical anthropology. The, the, the offshoot is called medical anthropology and understanding how culture and how culture makes a big difference in, in diseases and how communities and, and people around the world or around the United States uh, understand health and disease and approach health and disease matters. So I found an anthropology in, and it had strains of biology in it. It's not, people think of anthropology as archeology. span That's just one piece of anthropology. But there's biological anthropology, and you know, which based on genetics and 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 biology, and but then there's medical anthropology. Is how medical services are different cross culturally. Uh, so it was just fascinating. So I did that, saying, "Hey, if you know, if I still want to go to medical school, this would be, you know, helpful in some respects." And then, so th th this is very fascinating. Okay, so you go there thinking you were going to major in something that would get you into medicine, but then you changed to anthropology mm -hmm. with the medical focus because that still puts you in a good position, but mm -hmm. then you graduate and go work for the mayor. Right. <laughs> um, well, by then it? I started thinking, Hey, maybe I want to go to law school um, because okay. all my friends at Yale, <laughs> ah, yeah. you okay. know, uh, gosh, all of my, my, my posse at Yale, four of, of my six friends went to law school and at Yale, my gosh, we had all these great speakers come in and, you know, this, you know, famous judge and this famous lawyer. And, you know, uh, you know, we used to go uh, to the Yale uh, Law School because that's where the movies were and meet all these these law students and, you know, to hear about what they were, who they were going to clerk for and and, you know, work for this firm. So I did fall under the spell of that. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, some of my heroes, even here in my office, I have a picture of Thurgood Marshall. Justice Marshall is one of my heroes. Um, great civil rights lawyer, uh, you know, Howard Law graduate, uh, you know, uh, became the first black solicitor general of the United States. And then, of course, President Johnson put him on the court. So I've always loved the law. And, and so that's where the tug came in. So I ended up going home after Yale and with my, you know, few blemishes in my uh, pre-med courses, but I graduated on time. Um, and and uh, I think I was only two, two, two or three A's short of cum laude. Um, but I did have, you know, a couple of blemishes in the sciences. Uh, so I told, I, I ran into the mayor of New Orleans, the first black mayor of New Orleans, who, who is again, not one of my great mentors, Dutch Moriel, first black mayor. 
So I run into Mayor Morey at a picnic in June after I graduate. And he said, son, what are you going to do? You just graduated from Yale. I said, Mr. Mayor, I don't know. I'm, trying, I'm on the fence between law and medicine. He said, well, send me your resume. Maybe there's a job down at City Hall you could do till you figure it out. So, Dale, I had a one-page resume. You know, all I had was, you know, vice president of Black Student Alliance, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, community service, you know, uh, you know, degree, bachelor's degree, Yale anthropology, concentration, medical anthropology. In those days, there was no email, uh, no fax machines. So I mailed it. But two, two weeks later, I get a call, you know, say, hey, we got a job down here at City Hall. The mayor thinks you should do. So I swear to God. I thought I'd only stay a year working for the mayor. I loved it. Absolutely loved government. So, so, so there's a there's a huge lesson in this, right? So, um, you never met him, so it's not as if somebody like, you know, made a warm introduction or something. Of- oh no, I knew the mayor because his children, his some of his children went to my high school. As a matter of fact, his son uh, went to my high school, so I saw the mayor parent functions, you know. But he was that was before he was the mayor. He was just Judge Moriel at that point, and then he ran for mayor. His campaign for mayor uh, started right as I was graduating from high school, uh, and and his daughter was at Yale. And then you know, so I knew his kids. Mark Moriel, president of National Urban League. I've known Mark since we were tweens, um, you know, in you know social circles in New Orleans. So yeah, we knew each other. I didn't know him well. Yeah. I campaigned for him, but then I went off to Yale. And like I said, he the only thing he knew was that hey, you graduated from Yale. What are you gonna do with your life, son? And so. so- Yeah, it shows you the the power of networking, you know, so I mean, for the listeners, I want them to understand these things that, you know, opportunity comes from who, you know, in large part. Right. Um, And and it's also intentional on the part of the mayor of New Orleans. Dutch was big about mentoring and 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 advancing young African-American professionals. So he hires me at 21. hmm. I think I just yeah, I made 21 in May of that year. And by August, I was working for the mayor of New Orleans. I was working on something that had nothing to do with medicine. I was working on federal job training programs to get unemployed people uh, uh, trades and skills in order to, to get a good job and, mm-hmm. and take care of their family, buy a house. So this was part of economic development work that the city of New Orleans was doing with, with federal job training funds. I found the work fascinating, you know, it, because it, it, was, it was technical. It was strategizing. How do we get more people you know, trained as electricians and more people trained as this, because we knew you get more people trained, they have jobs, they, they pay taxes, they buy houses, they, you know, shop, et cetera. So I learned the fundamentals of economic development working in the mayor's office, uh, just on, on job training programs. Even with I, only want to, I only wanted to stay a year, but, you know, next thing you know, uh, I think it was probably uh, a year and a half in, I get a call. Uh, from the mayor's secretary said, the mayor needs to see you. I said, oh, what did I do wrong now? <laughs> so, I, so, uh, so I go in to see the mayor. I said, son, sit down. Hey, you're doing such a great job. I want you to come work for me. I said, well, I already work for you, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> he said, no, I want you to be on my right hip all day. So I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to bring you into the executive office of the mayor. And you're going you're gonna to be on my hip from the morning up, from the time I wake up until Till I tell you go home. You know, uh, you know, and, yeah. So something that one of my vivid memories of you at Meharry, every time I saw you, you had the same guy always walking yeah, right there right, on your right hip. Right. Was that I had an administrative fellow? And because look, Dale, one of the things you learn so much being on the right hip of, of an executive, of a leader. And and I did that for 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 
three years uh, as, as the mayor's administrative assistant to the mayor, meaning I was his bodyguard. Anywhere in the world he was, other it was either it was me and a bodyguard with the mayor. Uh, I traveled with him. <laughs> I learned how to travel. You know, uh, I, I, I wrote speeches for him. Uh, you know, I, I you know, it, but it, I was in meetings. You know, I'm in the Congress in, with the big city mayors. I'm, I'm meeting the then vice president of the United States, George H.W. Bush, because we're at a meeting at the uh, next to the White House. I was the guy with him. Like 24 years old or something. Yeah, like yeah, I'm 24 years old. Uh, and so the, the tremendous um, leadership training I got from that. And, and how professionals interact, how people can disagree and, and the politics of situations. So Dutch was a good student or teacher rather of understanding how relationships are so important for advancement in professional life. And he knew that I probably still wanted to go to medical school, but he still felt, hey, you come work for me. You can do anything, Riley. So, so in going through that, in, in going through all that, you didn't get pulled away from medicine. You didn't feel like that. That I, I would have think I would th- think that that would strengthen your urge to go into law. Yeah. No. Well, it, like I said, at a certain point, I love government, but I didn't like campaigning. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was always a campaign, and you know, by then, after I knew that I had successfully worked for the mayor of New Orleans, I started getting a tug to go to medical school again. And I remember talking to my dad, and he said, "Look." You know, you're still young. You're still single. You don't. You don't have a mortgage. You know, I, I think what you've done is great in terms of working for the mayor. Um, you know, so if you want to, you know, go back towards medicine, then you should consider it. So I remember telling the mayor, I said, Dutch, I think I want to go to medical school. I'm going to start taking a couple of courses at night at Tulane. He said, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, no problem. No problem. You just get your work done for me. And then, you know, so I started taking a couple of courses at Tulane uh, University um, at night. And then we, you know, his term in office ended. And so he was termless. He couldn't be mayor anymore. So by then I said, oh yeah, I'm going back to school. And, but I still had some pre-med work to correct. So I said, hedging strategy, I better get an MPH. So I got an MPH. I started working on an MPH. My day, the last day in the mayor's office, I went right to class at Tulane because uh, I was working on my MPH. And I finished that in two years on time in health healthcare management. I had taken the MCAT that last year of MPH program and bombed it. I mean, my MCAT scores were terrible. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I was crushed, but I got my MPH. Um, and uh, I, I remember I did the same thing. I tell people I went to Kaplan at that point. Kaplan was the only MCAT prep around. So I took Kaplan, um, did a little better, still didn't get any interviews that year. Um, the third time I took the MCAT, I got a decent score. I had three interviews. I got three acceptances and I chose to go to Morehouse School of Medicine. So what were the, what were the other two programs you were looking at? Tulane and LSU. So I got in Tulane and LSU on the third, third try. And why, why the choice for that HBCU? Well, you know, I kind of, my first choice, ironically, this is the, the irony of life. My first choice was to go to Meharry. Why? Because my dad went to Meharry, right? Let me see. Let me and see. I'd grown up around all his Meharry uh, colleagues and friends. As a matter of fact, one of his dearest friends uh, was a Dallas physician, Dr. Watts, uh, in Dallas, uh, Nathaniel Watts, the black surgeon. So that was one of his dear friends from his class at Meharry. You know, I applied to Meharry, didn't get an interview, <laughs> even though I was an alumni child. 
but I got in Morehouse and Morehouse was a new medical school. It was only, I think, 35 students in each class when I got admitted. It was in Atlanta, so it was away from New Orleans. I felt there was time to leave New Orleans too because I was so known as you know the executive assistant to the mayor, the young guy, the young whiz kid, you know, the kid from Yale that Dutch uh, mentored and, and you know had on his right hip all those years. Uh, I felt there's time to leave New Orleans. And uh, Morehouse was a great, a great decision, one of the best decisions I ever made. It was also conscious too, because remember my dad had uh, gone to University of Michigan, a public Ivy, then he went to Meharry. And he said he always felt like he can walk into any room, whether black, white, or whatever. And, and he, he, it, that people would, res, it would resonate with the white folks. He went to University of Michigan. It would resonate with black folks that he went to Meharry. And I always saw him do that, that code switching, which we all have to do as, as African-Americans. And I, I thought that was a good model. So I was very intentional. I wanted to go to Meharry, but I didn't get to Meharry. Didn't get an interview, but I got in Morehouse. Uh, and I jumped when I got in Morehouse School of Medicine. Best, you know, probably best education decision I ever made was to go to Morehouse School of Medicine. So how was it? How was it when you got there, having spent most of your education with a PWI? Even high school, you went to it. Sounds like a private school, PWI. So then you get to Morehouse. Everybody, not everybody, most people look like you. Well, was there a culture shock at all, or were you kind of used to it just because you, you grew up in New Orleans and you were around? Yeah, I grew up in New Orleans, so no, I was, I, you know, I was comfortable around black folks. But the thing that blew me away, Dale, quite frankly, is wow, <laughs> there are some really smart black folks here. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just thinking of my classmates, and they were, boy, they were whip smart. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, just, I mean, they were just blowing the test. You know, I'm sweating bullets, and boy, they just. <laughs> You know, I, you know, you know, I, I joke and say, Dale, there's you can graduate summa cum laude, magna cum laude, cum laude or thank you, laude. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a proud thank you, laude graduate of Morehouse School of Medicine. Um, but no, it was. It, but the thing about Morehouse is and this is what, you know, regrettably, some of you who go to non black schools, you know, you don't realize it's normal for us to see black physicians all day. <laughs> at Morehouse School of Medicine at Meharry, Howard, or Drew. But when you get into residency, it's a culture shock. You never see a black physician generally uh, as a resident. Uh, and that is that did take me for a loop when I got to Baylor. When I got to Baylor, there were 55 first-year internal medicine residents. There were only five black, and there were only two black males. Oh, wow. Think about it. Out of 50, we had, you know, Baylor still has one of the largest uh, you know, uh, internal residency program. So that was a culture shock, not seeing black physicians after going to Morehouse School of Medicine. That took a little, you know, mind manipulation. So how, so, okay, so this, this is good. So we get, and we talk about this in, our, in the documentary too. So you leave um, Morehouse around people who look like you, who are smart like you, who are brilliant, who have visions mm -hmm. and dreams. You get down there to Baylor. It's flipped around now. So you're not around people who look like you. Mm -hmm. How did that impact your performance? I know there's a culture shock, but how did that culture shock actually impact your clinical performance and your confidence? Yeah, well, look, you know, it, the, the, I think the sociological term is called salience. Uh, when you are an African-American male in a predominantly white situation, it's called salience. In other words, they'll, when you're not there, they notice that you're not there, right? <laughs> if you don't show up for rounds on time, where's Riley? Uh, you know, if you, you know, miss checking an x-ray, you know, that was Riley's patient or, you know, so it, it, you're right. I did feel, and I know black males in particular feel this in medicine, um, sort of the, the enhanced scrutiny 
that we get as African-American professionals begins in residency. If you didn't go, if you didn't go to an HBCU during, you would begin at Duke or no, at, at uh, Missouri. But for those of us who went to black school, you know, black medical school, it doesn't begin to get in residency and you get this enhanced scrutiny, people challenging your knowledge base. You know, I remember, you know, one attending writing an evaluation, well, needs to strengthen his knowledge base, needs to read more. And I was like pissed off. I remember calling my dad and said, I said, oh gosh, they're doing that. They're still doing that. Yeah, dad, they're still doing it. So, um, but you, you know, and this is where I've counseled residents who are having difficulty, you know, you, you can't um, overreact nor can you underreact to those scenarios um, because unfortunately it's, it's part of what we have to go through that our white colleagues sometimes don't have to go through um, in, in training. Yeah, you know, I try to explain whenever I do my little, you know, Q&A sessions for the documentary, usually I try to explain exactly what you just described. I've never, it's so simple, but I've actually never used that term enhanced scrutiny. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's going to be part of my new, you know, my new lexicon, but I try to explain this idea that, you know, if I'm in an operating room and if you ask me a question, more things go through my mind. Cause I'm thinking, I'm not just thinking about the answer. I'm thinking of what if I missed the question what are they going to think about me? Or are they trying to set me up? Are they trying to set me up? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's all that. And then the other, the other part of it is I was on, um, I did something with Damon, Damon Tweedy um, last year after the film came out too, mm -hmm. we were on one of these sessions and he was talking about how just when you walk into a room as a, as a black man or black woman or as a minority, you spend so much mental energy trying to see is, who's on my side, who's not on right. my side. Are they going right. to attack me? And that's exhausting. Right. No, it is. It, you know, it, Dale, you know, even at my level, uh, you know, as president of a billion dollar enterprise here uh, in New York City, I still walk into rooms and like I'm the only black physician in the whole room in 2022. You know, it, it's 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 sobering. It's frustrating, but it's reality. And you're right. They, they test me the same way um, at my level that as when I was, you know, uh, a resident in terms of, well, hey, does Riley really knows does he really know what he's talking about? But did they no. did they test you that same way at Meharry? It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh.